sounds you heard were uh, Emily's foster child as they rolled away to do moves. So uh, that uh, hopefully, hopefully you saw how easy that is. It's not a difficult thing. And let me just say this. A moment ago we had special prayer for Patty Raymond. Of course, we prayed for anybody that would, would want to come to the altar. But we do that because whenever somebody has a medical emergency, they need prayer right then. We've even done that in this service before. So don't think, well, she's a privileged character. Brother Mike called all the church. No, if something happens to you, we'll pray for you. I pray it doesn't happen to you. But if it does, uh, you'll want your church family praying for you like we were praying for her. So thank you for that. Well, take your copy of God's Word this morning. We're going to be talking about MOVE today. Uh, the other day, I locked myself in my office, and I told Pat, I said, Pat, don't anybody disturb me. I've got to come up uh, with a sermon for Sunday on MOVE. And I said, at the time, I, had, I did not know what scripture I was going to use. At that time, I had no idea what MOVE would stand for. And so I got in my office, and I said, I'm either, Lord, is either going to tell me what to do, or my head's going to explode, one of the two. And I said, either way, yeah, I, I didn't want it to, I had to get along with God, so that's what I've tried to do. Because, uh, and here's the story of MOVE. Several weeks ago during revival, Ted Trailer was our evangelist, and Ted is from a little town on Sand Mountain called Pisgah. And he said uh, that there were men on Pisgah, Mount Pisgah up there, that just uh, came every day to the little town square and sat across from one another and had a checkerboard, and all they would do was all day long play checkers. And, he said as a boy he always wanted to play, and he said one day he went up there and one of the men who was a checker player said, sit down, Ted, I want to play in checkers. And Ted thought he'd really arrived, so he sat down and the man moved first, and then Ted was looking at the checkerboard, and, and uh, he was trying to think about what he wanted to do, and he said he knew this guy was a genius at checkers. It was all he did all day long was sit there in the middle of the town and play checkers, and he said he was studying to make sure he would make the right move. He didn't want to make a wrong first move. And he said while he was looking at the board, all of a sudden, he heard this loud, move! And he said it scared him to death because he'd never heard the man say anything like that. And he said, boy, are you going to sit there all day or are you going to move? He said, do you think I don't have anything better to do than sit here waiting for you to move? And Ted thought to himself, I really wanted to tell him, well, yes, sir, that's all you do is you sit here all day waiting for somebody to move. But he went on to preach a sermon and talked about how we need to move. And it so impressed our staff, we were discussing it, and it came up, well, why don't we move? And we said, well, how are we going to do that? And so we started doing some praying and thinking and brainstorming, and we decided we would come up with something to get us out in our community and so as I sat in the office the other day, the Lord gave me a little more clear picture of it, and I did find the word move. So I want to ask you to take your Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 17. We're going to be reading verses 22 through 31. And when you find that passage, I'm going to read it today out of the King James Version. When you find that passage, would you stand, please, as we show our respect for the reading of God's word. This is the word of the living God. Then Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill and said, Ye men of Athens, I perceive that in all things ye are too superstitious. For as I passed by and beheld your devotions, I found an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God, whom therefore ye ignorantly worship, him declare I unto you. God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands, neither is worshipped, with men's hands as though he needed anything, seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things, and hath made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on all the face of the earth, 
and hath determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation, that they should seek the Lord, if happily they might feel after him and find him, though he be not far from every one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as certain also of your own prophets have said, for we are also his offspring. Forasmuch then as we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the Godhead is like unto gold or silver or stone graven by art and man's device. And at the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent, because he hath appointed a day in the which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men in that he hath raised him from the dead. May God add his blessing to the reading of his holy word. You may be seated. Now, let me paint this picture for you. Paul is standing in the middle of Mars Hill in Athens. There was a place on Mars Hill called the Areopagus, and the Areopagus was kind of like a public square. In fact, it was an outdoor church, and uh, the Greeks were very religious. They had altars all around the Areopagus. In fact, one day they came across a place where there was not an altar, and somebody said, why don't we put an altar here? And they said, well, we have altars to all the known gods of every religion in the world. And they said, well, there may be a God we don't know about. And so they made an altar to an unknown God. They did not set an idol on it because they didn't know who the God was. And they were waiting for somebody to tell them who that God was. And when Paul came to Mars Hill, he saw that and he said, well, you guys are really religious. And the King James says superstitious, but really, if you think about it, they were too religious. They had all these religions, but not one of them met their spiritual needs. And so Paul, standing there, does something he had never done before. He always gave his testimony. He always talked about, I was on the Damascus Road and a great light shone around about me. And the Lord himself spoke to me and I was blinded and I had to go into uh, the town. And there I met a man who uh, delivered me from my blindness. And, and in a few days, I started preaching the gospel. That was where he always, how he always preached when he went into these towns. But there, he gives a very philosophical defense of the faith that he had in Jesus Christ. And one of those things in doing that, he says these words. He says, for in him we live and move and have our being. Now, the phrase in him we live and move and have our being is from an ancient Greek poet called Epimenides, and it was used in a conversation by Paul among the Greek gods of mythology. Paul shows his knowledge of Greek culture and also his knowledge of the truth. In the middle of Athens, Paul shows the folly of idolatry compared to the knowledge of the true and living God. I love what Adrian Rogers said. He said these words, you'll never be satisfied apart from him. It's not what he gives us that satisfies, it is himself. And if you're here today and you're not satisfied with life, I have good news for you because Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. And if you're not happy in life, if you're not satisfied, if you're not fulfilled, it may be because you've been bowing at the altar of the wrong God. But I looked at that word move. In him we live and move and have our being. And that's what the title of this outreach is. And that's what the title of this message is. And so I started praying, how could I take the word move and, and make it live for our church? Well, uh, I, I read what W.O. Carver said in the Acts of the Apostles. He said, Paul here asserts 
God's concern for, support of, control over, and gracious purpose toward every group of the human race. You think about that, that's what Paul did in the midst of a pagan society in the Areopagus on Mars Hill in Athens, Greece. While I was praying about what could MOVE stand for, uh, I thought, well, what will MOVE, M stand for? Well, obviously couldn't use MOVE because that's what we've got, but I wanted to have some kind of an action. And so I thought of the word mobilizing. I like that word, mobilizing. Uh, you know what that means? It means getting ready and moving out. That's exactly what it means. Years ago, some of you mature people like Brother Paul and myself can remember that associations used to have M nights. They had them on Monday nights, and they usually were the poorest attended thing on the calendar. Uh, and the, now some, church, some associations had great big ones, and I've been in some that had great. Most of the time I went, if I was supposed to preach, it was me and the singer and two or three preachers. That was it. And, and, and a lot of people thought it was called M night because it happened on Monday night, but that wasn't it at all. It did happen on Monday night for the most part, but it was called mobilization night. And we were out to mobilize the church. Well, I want to tell you, if we mobilize like the church did on M night, we're going to fall on our face, all right? Uh, we're, we're not talking about that kind of mobilizing. We're talking about the mobilizing that makes a difference. Moving with a purpose. It's a focused activity. And I want you to know it, it's just not, it's not called being mobile. It's mobilizing. It's a participle. It's something that we don't just do one time. It's not something we're going to say, well, okay, we want to get out here and invite people to the Fall Family Festival. No. We want to get out here and talk to people about Jesus Christ. And MOVE gives us an opportunity, and it mobilizes everybody. This morning I preached at 8 o'clock. Mr. and Ms. Alvis Shirley were here. They came in a little late, and I preached the same sermon you're hearing to the 8 o'clock crowd, and I talked to them about mobilizing and being a part of MOVE. Well, if you don't know Mr. and Ms. Shirley, they live in an assisted living facility, and Mr. Shirley is in a wheelchair. You know what blessed me? Was they gave me a move card. They wanted to be a part of mobilizing. Now, he's in a wheelchair. He said, I want to be a part of this. He lives in an assisted living place. I want to be a part of this. I want to do my best to be a part of move. And so he handed in his card. Leroy, you tell Patty we had special prayer for her. And we're thinking about you too. But mobilizing means it's something we are going to do. Not just now. Not just for the Fall Family Festival. Not just a few times. We're going to do that. Why? Because Jesus told us to go into all the world. And you begin at home. You know, we're always sending people on mission trips. How many of you have been on a mission trip with this church? Raise your hand. Look around now. Look around. All right. That's a great many people. Most of you did not raise your hand. My goal and my prayer is, while you're a member of this church, you will take a mission trip. But a mission trip does not have to go to uh, Mississippi. It does not have to go uh, to the, uh, to overseas. It doesn't have to go with the senior adults to New Orleans. You can go across the street and do a mission trip. And so mobilizing is a focusing of our activity. And, and by the way, this is exactly what Jesus said to do. When he, when he was sending out his disciples, he sent them out on a mission trip. He said, go out. He said, don't carry anything with you. He said, if people don't respond well to you, shake the dust off their sandals. God is going to take care of you. God blesses us when we move for him. We need to understand that. 
whether it's across the street or around the world. So we're going to be focusing our activity on mobilizing the entire church, even somebody in an assisted living facility in a wheelchair can be part of me. You say, what can he do? He can pray. He can also visit in that facility. He can do exactly what you're going to do in just a moment uh, in that facility and go around and ask people in that facility these questions if he wants to. But it's a focus of activity. And then O stands for hour. And that means a shared responsibility. And by the way, I'm not just talking about us. Because where does move come from? For in him we live and move and have our being. It comes from God. God is the source of our power. If we try to do move in the energy of the flesh, we'll make some visits. We'll probably get some folks to come to some things. But I want to tell you, when we ask God to be Lord of this and put God in charge of it and say, God, we're not doing this because we want a name in the community. We do not do this because we want us to be known. We're doing this that your name may be glorified if we do that. God becomes our partner. William Carey said, if God is your partner, make your plans big. And that's what we need to do. This is a shared responsibility. We share it with God and we share it with each other. We're not asking anybody to do like Don did on that video and go out by themselves. That was just for demonstration purposes. But uh, uh, we're not asking anybody to go out by themselves. We want to go in groups. We want to have two or three in every group. Uh, just because we want people to know that we care about them. Also, because uh, that's what we were taught to do in faith. We were taught if we went to a house and there were two men together and there wasn't a lady there, uh, a woman who might be at home alone might feel reticent to come into the door. So this is a shared responsibility. Number V stands for vision. Uh, This is our vision for reaching people in this community. The Bible says, where there is no vision, the people perish. Who comes to your house to visit? I'm not talking about kin folks or people you invite over to watch a football game. But who comes to your house and rings your doorbell? 90% of the time, it's cults. 90% of the time, it's the Jehovah's Witnesses or the Mormons who are out there knocking on doors. Where are the Baptists? Where are the Assembly of God folks? Where are the Methodists? Where are the Presbyterians? I remember one day we were living on Wilderness Road. It was, a, it was a Saturday, and it was a hot day. And the doorbell rang, and I went down to the, the door. We had a, one of those houses had a split foyer. I went down to the door, and there at the door were three college students. One of them was in a wheelchair. And they said, hey, we're out taking a survey today. And I said, well, good. And they said, we're from Briarwood Presbyterian Church. We're here for a college conference. And and we're taking a survey, and we want. I said, you want to know if I'm going to die when I go to heaven, don't you? And they said, well, yeah. I said, well, I am. And they said, why? And I said, because I've been born again, washed in the blood, filled with the Holy Ghost. And, they, and yeah, they got fired up then. And, I, and they said, we don't want to talk to you anymore. And I thought, well, thanks. I appreciate the fellowship, brothers. It was a hot day, and, and I, I hadn't told you the, the kicker yet. One of those guys was a college student in a wheelchair. And he looked at me and he said, you're a preacher, aren't you? I said, yeah, I am. And he said, do you know how many of your neighbors are saved? I said, yeah. I said, I've talked to all of them. And he said, are all of them saved? I said, all of them except this guy right over here. And I pointed to the house. You say, how do you know that guy wasn't saved? He told me he wasn't saved. He told me he didn't want to be saved. 
He told me when he wanted to be saved, he'd go down to some church. He wouldn't come to our church. He'd go down to some church and get saved. Now, I knew he said that, but the guy says, anybody here not saved? I said, yeah. I want that little fella turn that wheelchair around like he was the Lone Ranger riding silver. Man, high yo wheelchair. They took off. He didn't even go back to the road. He went across my, and buddy, those wheels were, and those guys were running after him to catch up with him. And I thought, my goodness, what a testimony. Here this fellow is, a college student in a wheelchair, and he means business. I mean, he's, he's like Rambo for God. I mean, he, he, he wanted to find somebody, and I want to tell you, I wanted to stay and watch what happened when he went to that house. But you know what I did? I went inside and prayed for him because I knew he was dealing with a tough character. Now, again, we're not going to ask you to, to have to share your go the, the gospel with people. If you find somebody that needs to be saved, you don't know how to present the gospel, that's okay. You come back and tell somebody. We'll send somebody that knows how to present the gospel to do that. But, but that's not the, pur the purpose of movies, just to get out there and let people know we care. And that's our vision. You see, people don't care how much we know until they know how much we care. Do we really care for people here? We need to look in our hearts. I want to tell you, I don't see how you could follow Jesus Christ and not care for people. He cared for everybody. He never turned anybody away. He never, in fact, he went places where most preachers wouldn't go. He hung out with prostitutes. He hung out with tax collectors. You say, what happened? They got saved. Some woman got saved at a well. Jesus wasn't even supposed to be in her country, much less speak to her as a woman. And the disciples had gone to get groceries. And when they came back, they brought the groceries. And they said, Jesus, you want something to eat? He said, I have meat you don't know of. He said, I've been feeding on manna from above. Because there was a woman here, and she's become a new person today. Folks, I want to tell you, that's a vision right there. You reach people for Jesus Christ where there is no vision that people perish. And then he does stand for evangelism. The word evangelism means good news. I mean, this was a no-brainer on E. Once I got to E, I was home free. And I want to tell you, mobilizing was tough. Hour wasn't too bad. Vision was, was, was not too bad. But boy, when I got to E, this was a no-brainer. Mobilizing our vision for evangelism. What is evangelism? The word gospel means good news, and the preaching of the good news is the evangel. And if you preach the good news, you're an evangelist. You don't have to have the gift of evangelism to be an evangelist. I don't have the gift of evangelism. In fact, the two people that I've known in this church that had the gift of evangelism, as far as I know right now, are not using their gift of evangelism. And I want to tell you, when you don't use your gift, God can take it away. You need to be very, very, but you don't have to have the gift of an, of an evangelist to be. Paul said, do the work of an evangelist. He didn't say have the gift of evangelism. He said, do the work of, a, of an evangelist. That means all of us can share the gospel. The woman Jesus talked to at the well became an evangelist. She went back to that town and she told everybody what Jesus had done. Well, when the disciples came in, they had gone to the 7-Eleven and got them some beanie weenies and some crackers. They were sitting around the well eating beanie weenies and crackers. And about that time, they heard a noise. Here came all the people from the city. Why? Because this woman's life had been changed. And I want to tell you, when your life is changed, you don't have a problem drawing a crowd. People are attracted to somebody that has, has experienced something real. And if you've experienced something real, you ought to be willing to share it. Here's your relationship with Christ. But now we're not done when we get to move. I have to be honest with you. And this, again, was a no-brainer. I thought, well, so we're evangelizing. Is that the end of it? Oh, no. When someone gets saved, they must be 
discipled. The problem we have as Baptists is we're good about telling people how to get saved. We're better than most about telling people how to get saved, but we're not too good at, evangel at, at discipling the saved. You say, well, what, how, do you, how do you evangelize, how do you disciple the saved? Well, you disciple the saved, first of all, our main method of discipleship is Sunday school. You say, are you, why do you always talk about Sunday school? Because we have it every Sunday. And because you're studying God's word every Sunday. And because you have a small group around you every Sunday. And because we meet regularly. And if you are not being discipled somewhere, Sunday school is a good place to start. You say, I wish you'd quit talking about Sunday school. I will when you come up with a better method of discipleship than Sunday school. I don't think you're going to find one. But guess what? Sunday school's not enough. Sunday school is not. You say, preacher, I go to Sunday school and church on Sunday morning. I'm as discipled as I need to be. Oh, no, you're not. You think Jesus died on the cross and shed his precious blood for your sins so you can come on Sunday morning and go to Sunday school and go to church and then go home and do the rest of the week, not even think about him? Absolutely not. He suffered for you on the cross, and he paid the price for you, and he expects you to serve him. And you can't serve him if you don't know how. And how do you do that? We offer discipleship on Sunday night. D now. Look at all these young people up here. Several weeks ago, we had a D now weekend, and they had so many young people. They just filled up this whole area, came down over here, went up there. Some of you folks that normally sit up there, you probably had to move because there were young people in your seat. Don't you dare ever say a word to these young people. They sit in your seat up there. I wish we had young people all over the sanctuary this morning sitting in people's seats today. They're getting disciple. They went to disciple now. They had a good time. You know, some people, oh, I don't want to be a disciple. This not, oh, the most fun I ever have is when I, I'm being discipled or discipling others. I mean, it's like, it's like giving water to thirsty people. It's like throwing a lifeline to a drowning man. Folks, we need to be in the business of evangelism and discipleship. Not one or the other, both. A disciple is the finished work of evangelism plus discipleship. Somebody say, I don't really know a whole lot. You need it worse than anybody else then. You really do. You really do. We are to evangelize and to disciple people. Now, are you ready to move? I want you to do something this morning. I don't normally ask you to do this. I don't know if I've ever asked you to do this or not. In your bulletin today, there are two things. First of all, there's this little card that says move. I have filled mine out. I'm signed up. I'm going to be a part of MOVE. I, I'm going to be on a team. I'm going to head a team. We're, we're going to work. We're going to go door to door. And we're going to do what we're fixing to do. So you need to take that, fill it out. You can drop it in any offering box. You can give it to any staff member today. That's what you do with that. Now, in your bulletin this morning is the questionnaire for MOVE. And what I, I'm going to ask you to do this, and, and please humor me, uh, is fill out this questionnaire right now. We're going to go right through it. You're going to see how easy it is. It's very simple. And uh, I want you to fill it out. Now listen, when we get down here to the bottom, I'm going to ask you for that prayer request. Uh, if you have a, a prayer request that is of a confidential nature and you don't want anybody else to see it, after you write that down there, and you, you feel free to put your name if it's of a confidential neighbor, nature because it's only coming to me. Uh, and then you fold it like this. And whether you give it to me or a staff member, if you put on there for the pastor only, I promise you nobody else is going to look at that. You say, how do you know that? I've got some right here over my heart right now. 
And if you have something you need me to pray with you about, I'll pray with you about it. And it will not be mentioned to anybody else. It will be between you and me and God, and I'll make it an object of prayer. Now, if you have other things that you don't mind others praying for, we may share that with your permission. But we're not going to share anything without your permission. If you have a confidential prayer request, just fold it over for the pastor. Well, let's do this survey real quick. It won't take me just a minute. A recent survey found out that about 80%, actually it was 83% to be exact, 80% of the people in Shelby County don't attend church. Why do you think this is so? A, people are too busy. B, people think the church is outdated. C, the church doesn't meet people's needs. D, going to church is just inconvenient. So you think about that and, and mark what you think the best answer for that is. And by the way, there's no wrong answer. This is an opinion poll. We're asking you for your opinion. Number two, how often do you or your family attend church? A, two or more times a week. B, once a week. C, once a month. D, rarely. E, never. So what would you think you would do? By the way, rarely would be those who come at Christmas and on Easter. And listen, I'm glad they come Christmas and Easter. Amen? At least they're coming. They hear the gospel when they come. I've always told our staff, we're not going to make people feel bad when they come on Easter and Christmas. We want them to feel good. We want them to hear the gospel. We want their life to be changed. So don't fuss at people if they say, I only rarely go to church. They may not know they're supposed to go to church because they don't know Christ. Number three, what do you think the church could do to help people be more active in church attendance? A, offer more energetic music. B, offer more self-help classes. C, offer a worship service at some other time. Then Sunday morning, D, other. And then number four, of the following list, which do you think is the most important role of the church? A, crisis help. B, counseling. C, taking care of the needy. D, financial assistance. E, other. So you put down what you think is the most important role of the church, not what you think somebody else will put, put down what you think is, is the most important role of the church. And then number five, and, and this, is where, this is where we really have a chance to minister to people. We are out today representing First Baptist Church Pelham. We appreciate your taking our survey before we leave. Is there anything that our church can be praying for you about? Let me just give you a couple of recent things that have happened. Now, I'm talking about in the last couple of weeks. Uh, I was elected in June to be on the board of trustees for New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary. I went down for my trustee orientation, and they said, if you'll be here by 5.15, we'll feed you. I pulled up at 5 o'clock. I mean, I had driven all the way down thinking about New Orleans food. And uh, I, I ate my fiber bars and my uh, protein shakes so I could have a good appetite. And I got down there and I met with the provost of the seminary. He's the chief uh, uh, academic officer. I met with the dean of students. And I met with a director of missions who was a new trustee from Ohio. And they said, where y'all want to go? And I said, well, it you know, doesn't matter to me. I will go where, where y'all want to. And he said, we're going to take you to a place called Drago's. And if you've ever eaten at Drago's in New Orleans, uh, they have a wonderful, wonderful menu. In fact, they have something called char-grilled oysters. When we went to the seminary picnic this year at the Southern Baptist Convention, they had those char-grilled oysters. I don't eat oysters. I let Mary and Paul and Barbara out over there where they could get a close walk into the, into the picnic. I went and parked on the other side of the seminary. And so I told Mary, she said, you want some oysters? I said, I don't eat oysters. You eat my oysters. And so she went through and she said, my husband's with me. Give me his oysters. And so instead of getting two oysters, she got four oysters. And so she told me they were good. Well, this guy, when we got to Drago's, they said, you want the char-grilled oysters? I said, I'm not big on oysters. And they said, well, we're going to get them and you can have some if you want it. And I said, well, I might try one. I want you to know 
that was just about the best thing I've ever put in my mouth. It didn't taste slimy like an oyster. It tasted like a steak, except it was a steak crusted with all kinds of Parmesan cheese. And I mean, Paula Dean would have been proud. There was enough butter on that to clog my arteries forever. And, uh, and they gave you French bread so you'd sop it up. Well, I, I told those guys, I said, I'm not stopping with one, boys. I'm eating my share of these. And so I ate the oysters. And, and, and while we were enjoying that nice meal, a guy came up who was our server. And he said, my name is Winston. I'm going to be your server. Can I get your order? And so I ordered uh, water with lemon. And, and uh, then he got the appetizer order. He came back and he brought us our drinks. And I, said, I was waiting for those guys to say something. They didn't say anything. So I thought, all right, I'll say it. And I said, Winston, I said, we're all here and we're all related to the New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary in some way. And I said, in just a moment, we're going to give God thanks for our food, and we always like to pray for our server. Is there anything going on in your life that we can pray for you about? He said, well, no, not really. In fact, he said, you know what? I'm a Southern Baptist. Well, I like to fell out of my chair. I was more shocked that he was a Southern Baptist than I was that the oysters were good. I don't like oysters, but those were good oysters. And here in New Orleans, which is probably the least Southern Baptist seminary in the South, the Southern Baptist city in the South, I run into a guy. And that's what he said next. He said, hey, my dad went to the seminary for a while. Let's pray. And so right in the middle of Drago's, we have a prayer meeting. We're all holding hands praying. I want to tell you, I thought revival had come. And, and the more food they bought, the better the revival was. I mean, I... I thought those oysters were good. They brought me some shrimp corn bisque. I'm going to make Tony mad here in a minute. And then they brought me some uh, uh, blackened redfish. And I want to tell you, I thought I had eaten fish before. You know, this was like heavenly fish. It was wonderful. And, so, and we had a chance to pray with that. What a great night that was. And then a couple weeks ago, I went up to Hartsell on Monday to do the funeral of my dear friend, Jack Lemon. In fact, I probably wouldn't have ever been in New Orleans Seminary if it hadn't been for Jack Lemon. And on the way coming back, I was hungry. And you know, when you're on a diet, you have to find a place that has salad and chicken. You know, every diet in the world has salad and chicken on it. And I thought, well, where'd I go for salad and chicken? I said, ah, Ruby Tuesdays, good place. So I pulled in at Ruby Tuesdays in Gardendale. And this young lady came and she said, sir, I'm Tabitha and I'm going to be your server today. I said, well, Tabitha, I'm glad to have you. My name's Mike. And she said, what can I get you to drink? I said, water with lemon. And so she went back and got it and brought it back. And Before I gave her my order, I said, Tabitha, I want you to know that I give thanks to God for my food before I eat it. And when you bring me my food tonight, I'm going to thank God for it. And I'd like to pray for you. And I mean, I looked at her, and when I said that, it was almost like she had been shocked with electricity. I mean, she gasped. And she said, I can't believe this. And I thought, uh-oh, what's going on here? And she said... I was hoping somebody would ask me today if they could pray for me because she said, I just found out that I'm pregnant. And she said, the last time I was pregnant, I had a miscarriage. And she said, I was asking God, God, would you just show me a sign that you care for me? And I'd been to Hartsville, Alabama to preach a funeral for a dear friend of mine. I had happened, happened to stop in Ruby Tuesdays in Gardendale and my server just happened to be Tabitha, who had told God that day, God, I'm so concerned about this pregnancy. Would you do something in my life to show me that you care for me? She came back, and she'd been crying. And I said, are you okay? And she said, I've never been so touched.
by anything in my life. It was obvious God sent you here today. Now, what did I do for that young lady? I just showed her that I was concerned about her. I was just kind to her. When I got my check, my bill was $13. I left $23 on the table. Say, why did you do that? That was just a little token of my concern for her. I don't often tip like that. Mary will tell you that. In fact, sometimes Mary has to say, that's not a good tip. And I say, you got any money? She said, you want to sleep with a dog? I'll leave more. But I won't tell you that day, if I, probably if I'd have had 100, I'd have left 100 that day. I'd already given the 100 away. Somebody would give me the giveaway. But that girl knew that I was going to pray for her. She also knew that I cared for her. You think that had an impact on her day that day? But I tell you who had a bigger impact, me. Because God was saying, this is what you're supposed to be doing. You're supposed to be showing people that you care. How many times have you cared enough to your neighbors to go up to their door, say, is there anything going on in your life I can pray with you about? I have two new neighbors on both sides of me in Cedar Cove. I, every time somebody moves in, I try to witness to them. I've not had a time yet to meet these two neighbors in fact, one of them just moved in last week. One of my first tasks at move is going to be to go to those neighbors and say, hey, I'm your neighbor. I'm pastor at First Pastor Pelham. Would you mind ask, answering five questions for me? And then that fifth question is, is there anything I can pray for you about? And I want to ask you that today. Is there anything I can pray for you about or the staff can pray for you about? And like I said, if it's something that is confidential, it will not leave between me and you and God, I assure you that. And that's what it ought to be. If, you t if people tell you, I'm going to share with you, this with you in confidence, if you don't keep it in confidence, people will not share with you. You'll never hear your story come out of the pulpit as long as I'm in my right mind. Now, if I lose my mind, I'm not liable. But if I lose my mind, I probably won't remember. <laughs> so you're not in any trouble. Samuel said, God forbid that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you. We ought to be people of prayer because that's how people know we care. Now it's time for decision. I want you to do two things. I want you to take that card, fill it out. If you want to be a part of a move, a man in a wheelchair at the 8 o'clock service filled it out and turned it in. Anybody and you say, what? I can't get out. You can pray while we do it. Prayer undergirds everything the church does. We need prayer. <music>